Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That uh, with your WWE Survivor Series War Games 2022 Ultimate Preview Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and we are here to break down everything ahead this Saturday at WWE Survivor Series War Games, along with everything that happened across SmackDown and Raw this past week. Along for the ride, of course, in a moment, will be Vintage Chris Vanini, and we are excited to bring you this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, covering WWE's final premium live event of the year 2022. We are going to get into all of that momentarily, but it would not be an addition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast if I did not remind you that this show is all about defy. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein for Vintage Chris Vanini, and more importantly, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast as a whole. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us a five-star rating. Take a few extra moments out of your life and leave us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts as well. If you do, we will read it right here live on the show. The ratings, reviews, super important in helping us grow. Also important is for you to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do we tweet live about wrestling all week long? Not only is that the first place that we drop our brand new episodes, so you know as soon as they go live, we also post pre and post show polls before and after premium live events. That way your voice can be heard. You can let us know what your pre-show expectation grades and post-show final grades are for pay-per-views and premium live events. And that will happen once again this coming Saturday. Another thing that we do on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast is live pre-shows of premium live events and pay-per-views. Now, it didn't work out last week for AEW Full Gear. Myself, Chris, we were both a little bit too busy, but we will be back with a live WWE Survivor Series War Games pre-show on Twitter Spaces this coming Saturday. So be sure to follow us again at Getting Overcast. You'll be able to join in on that show, uh, ask questions, provide comments. We do open the mics. We also give you a last-minute preview of every single match right before Survivor Series War Games is going to begin. So again, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast and you get to join in all of that fun. And I would be remiss if I did not remind you that as soon as Survivor Series War Games goes off the air Saturday night, we will have an instant analysis podcast ready for your ear holes. Myself, Chris, we will sit down, break down everything that happens across Survivor Series War Games, the results of the matches, what we expect to happen going forward. And yes, we will on that show, uh, go over the expectation grades and final grades again and let you know exactly what we thought of Survivor Series War Games. So with that, allow me to welcome the vintage one, Chris Vanini, into the show. Chris, uh, lots of starts and stops getting this done today. You had some power issues. The Silver King had some vocal issues, putting it mildly. And now we're finally here to talk wrestling, which is what we are meant to do. And this is kind of how I'll get us into the episode, right? Uh, I think Survivor Series War Games in totality, it's a really strong card. It's five matches, but they're five extremely solid matches. The one thing I'll say, though, that I've noticed on television is it seems like almost everything else, with the exception of maybe the Intercontinental Championship, because there is like an overall storyline ongoing there, it seems like just everything else has taken a backseat. There's like no additional women's storylines. There's no contenders that are being built. I thought SmackDown Friday night was a superb show. 
great storytelling in wrestling. I don't believe I had a single negative coming out of SmackDown. Raw, I thought it was a strong opening. The closing was okay. But in between, the rest of the show really dragged. And it just hurts that there's no tag team division, like titles. There's no main event division on that show in terms of a world championship. Yes, Seth Rollins has the US title. But again, we've discussed this so many times at this point. It's like ad nauseum. Good wrestling for sure on Raw. Just not a lot of things that actually had to do with Survivor Series, which is really the entire point of a go-home show. That's going to happen, though. Like I said, when you have a five-match card and only two titles are on the line. Well, that's what happens when you put, what, four titles in the War Games match? Two tag team titles and two men's... Four uh, in the men's match and then one yeah, in the women's match. Yeah, yeah just for, yeah, alone. So they're they're just all in it, which is fine. Look, it's survival. No, I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry. Two titles in the women's match. The women's tag team and the Raw Women's yep. Championship are both in that. So yeah, half so, your titles are are in War Games matches. Yeah, look, we it, look. It's called Survivor Series War Games. It's a five match card. Two of them are War Games. It only really matters what happens in those two matches, and I think they understand that. I think they've built to those quite well, which we'll get into that deep later. But you know, it it is what it is. I actually, you know, speaking of that adversity we've had to go through to get the show started, I yeah, I was without internet for like. 15 hours. I have mobile hotspot on my phone, but it's not great. So I ended up watching all of last night's raw on my phone, which was a different kind of experience. I, I can't I imagine att- watching a three hour raw on your phone. I, I paid just- attention. I paid attention to uh commentary a lot more because I was listening a lot. So it was just, it was, it was interesting. So I may not have caught everything exactly the right way, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the show. I think it's weird that it's survivor series war games and it's when it's really just war games, but it's how it goes. So it, 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 it's a new pay-per-view heavily emphasizing these two matches. And that's basically all we're getting. Yeah. And I also don't think that's the worst thing. You know, I, I don't want to begin the show by coming off that I'm being negative. It's just that you have five hours of television. And I know that a lot of effort is being put into those war games matches. But even like regarding the women's war games, right? It's completely based on Raw. And they didn't show up, the women, on Raw at all until the final 30 minutes of the show. Well, Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you have a singles match between two of the other women or a tag team match between two of the other women in the match? Or I don't know, just just backstage storylines to kind of get things going, bumping into each other, talking shit, brawling. Then you come out and you have the match. I, just like world build a little bit. It, it's just very strange the way that went down. And I thought overall, a lot of the storytelling decisions made on Raw were strange. But I, I say that to remind you what I said previously, which is that I thought SmackDown, I don't think it was a perfect show by any means. But the two hours of SmackDown on Friday flew by for me. Like every segment, I was like, that's good. That's good. That's good. Like, so a little spoiler alert when we get to the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, any bads or uglies, they're not going to be coming from the SmackDown side. Right. Uh, that show's been moving well for a while. It helps that it's shorter. It helps that you put the bloodline across the entire show and you're able to spot fill everything else. And it works. Now, we do have a lot to cover today, of course, because not only are we going to do our WWE Survivor Series War Games Ultimate Preview, uh, but we are, of course, going to cover everything that happened across SmackDown and Raw, not just building to those matches, but also on their own, things that have nothing to do with Survivor Series War Games. So for anyone who might be a first-time listener to the podcast, or you just happen to be listening a lot closer to Survivor Series War Games, and you're like, I don't really care about everything that happened. Uh, you know, that doesn't have to do with that premium live event. I just want to get right to the preview. Well, we do have timestamps in our episode descriptions. So if you want, you can jump right to the Survivor Series War Games Ultimate Preview, but we always have that in the main event portion of the show, the end 
of the show. And we kick things off by breaking down everything else that happened across SmackDown and Raw. Now, this week, we do not have a main event. There was not a huge overarching topic. So we are going to get started, as we always do with these Tuesday WWE episodes. It's normally our second segment, but we're kicking things off this time with the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Say dude to give you ice and you own some... Shorty! It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. All right, so let's get things started with SmackDown. We had Bray Wyatt making his full entrance, saying he was conditioned to think fear is respect, but his path is littered with pain and blood. Wyatt wondered if he can change. He apologized to LA Knight for his moment of weakness last week. Knight got booed, saying the apology conflicted him because he believed not fearing Wyatt actually got him respect. Knight said he believed Wyatt. He extended a hand, but when Bray went to shake it, he sucker slapped him, and then he accepted the apology. Wyatt said, hey, we're even, it's cool, uh, and he would fight urges to be violent with Knight's next decision determining the rest of his life. So then Bray extended his hand, but rather than shake it, LA Knight slapped him again. That left Wyatt in like a catatonic state. Knight starts walking backstage and images of, you know, Uncle Howdy and all the stuff that's going on with Bray flashed on the Titantron behind Knight that he couldn't see as he was walking backwards. And then later backstage, Wyatt was like hidden in the background of a segment, arguing with someone or something behind a road case. And then even later in the show, Knight was seen basically hightailing it out of SmackDown. When Megan Morant asked, he's like, she's like, are you scared? Like, why are you leaving? And he's obviously said, no, I'm not. The masked man that we've seen in the videos was lurking behind him. Knight opened a door uh, denying that he was leaving because he was scared. And then after a commercial break, he was shown squashed under a pile of equipment, ladders, kegs, chairs, wires, all tons of stuff with people rushing to help him. So, you know, I could see some maybe being frustrated about this, but I found all of this intriguing. Wyatt is basically like swallowing his demons. He's willing to make amends for his actions only for Knight to make the exact mistake that Wyatt warned him about. I thought Bray's facial expressions were superb here. This is obviously going to play out over the coming weeks, but it really seems like a purposeful effort to give us a deeper look at Wyatt's mind, his motivation, and the conflicts that he's facing. And then above that, or beyond that, I should say, they're setting up a feud, Bray Wyatt and LA Knight. And that's what we've wanted from this. We've wanted this to, to manifest itself into something happening in the ring, and it finally did. So this was a good for me. Oh, this was absolutely a good. Th- this is the best type of stuff you can get out from like a heel LA Knight. I, like, I got to start with him. He comes out. He was awesome too, yeah. He, he comes out. And he immediately starts getting wadded by the crowd and he changes up his cadence. It stops the what and it turns into booze like that. That is the exa- that is like a teaching moment to everybody. Like that's how you get out of a what and get back into what you want. Terrific job uh, on the mic there to set it up. I loved that he did the first slap and then got out of the ring. So it was like he was tough enough to hit him, but not tough enough to stay there. Like it was just a mm-hmm. great like like being a heel, he was like, he was being a dick, but also being a coward at the same time. Like it totally worked in this idea that like Ray's trying to be nice. Now he's trying to figure some things out. And LA Knight's just here to basically bully him and tease him. Like, that's a great story. That's a great story for Bray Wyatt coming back as we try to figure out what Bray Wyatt is. And then everything else happens backstage. And it was interesting. I I thought this was, this was really, really good. And you got a meme out of it. the, The Bray Wyatt eyes, 
close up uh, of his face mm-hmm. uh, turned into a meme over the weekend too. So I just I thought this was great. I just love the whole concept of like he is this thing buried so deep down inside that it's only right now manifesting itself like in non-physical forms, like you're seeing it on the Titan Tron and all that type of stuff. But then someone pushes, has to push him, not just a little bit, but has to really push him because he has this thing buried so mm-hmm. deep for this to come alive and, and happen. And, and we still don't know, you know, as we continue seeing this uh, unfold on television, we still don't know, is he Uncle Howdy? Is Uncle Howdy a part of him? Is it someone completely different that's pulling the strings? Like, there's just so many different ways they can go with it. And every time that you think you have an answer, they kind of change the question to a little bit of a degree. So I don't know. I'm, I'm I think they're crushing it. Um, there was a down part initially that you called out, like the first two weeks, I would say, uh, coming out of the big reveal. But ever since then, I think they've really been doing a good job developing a specific storyline while simultaneously continuing to build intrigue into what's actually happening around Bray Wyatt. Yeah, and, and and this is also very much elevating L.A. Knight in his first real main roster stuff post, you know, the model mm-hmm. stuff. This is him on his own for the first time, and he's absolutely meeting the moment, too. They're both, it, it, both of it, the whole thing, definitely working for me. And and by the way, there's not even a guarantee. Like, we t- when we talked about this last week, we said, hey, you know, this isn't a bad feud for L.A. Knight because he's still new on the brand. He's It's easy for him to lose right now. You don't want him to lose once you've built him up. It's better for it to happen now. And these are the types of people that Bray Wyatt should go through because LA Knight can correct himself and, and just win a bunch of matches afterward, right? But there's also no guarantee that LA Knight loses this feud or at least loses maybe the first match of this feud. Yeah. Because what's this Bray Wyatt character? It's this guy who's having these demons that he's struggling with and clearly he's not all there. And he's not some demonic dominant wrestler right now. He's not the fiend that you know LA Knight's gonna fight. So there's a very good chance the first time they actually fight, Ellie Knight beats him. And then maybe there's another part of his personality that comes out fiend-esque um, and then makes him more dominant in perhaps a rematch. So we don't even know that it's going to be like one-sided Bray beats him and the whole thing's over. Right. I'm just picturing Ellie Knight beats Bray Wyatt and how just how funny that would have imagined like a year ago. <laughs> and how people would freak out over it. Oh, they're burying Bray. They're, you know, yeah. This guy with a terrible name. Uh, anyway, it's funny, though. Uh, SmackDown World Cup. We had two matches for it on SmackDown, obviously. Uh, Ricochet representing the United States. Mustafa Ali from Raw representing Pakistan. Ali was given an out before the bell. A trainer told him backstage he technically was cleared to wrestle, but he really shouldn't do it because it's risky. Ricochet also tried to convince him otherwise because they're friends. But Ali said, I'm doing it. You're not going to stop me. And they dapped each other up. And then the match started. So Ali hit a sick avalanche falling backstabber. Rick rolled through Ali flying over the ropes for a Michinoku driver. Ali avoided a Phoenix splash and locked in a cool like clutch style submission. Rick came back with a snapdragon lariat and springboard moonsault for a false finish. Ali hit a Casadora flip pinning combination and then a tornado DDT. But Rick avoided the 450 and hit a shooting star press with Ali standing. So he basically the shooting star press came down while Ali was standing and falling backwards. Uh, and this was for a win in 11 minutes. Ricochet dapped him up after the bell again and then helped carry him to the back. The crowd was really hot for this, and rightly so, because the wrestling was superb in this match. The storytelling was also great. Ali got the excuse for a loss because he basically remains a contender for the United States Championship over on Raw. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. The finish, uh, the way Ali took that shooting star from a standing position, that was exceptional. And the post-match was a nice touch on the entire thing. I, no surprise. These two can go. They can bang. 
the, you know, I try not to grade TV matches as much as I used to, except when they really deserve it. This one deserved it. 3.75 stars, a B plus, and obviously a good. Yeah, great match. Expected result kind of with how they set it up, which is fine. Um, I, I, Ali cut, I think, a promo afterward or something, basically explaining uh, why he was representing Pakistan and his family and stuff like that, which was, was kind of nice because I think we thought He's from, he's born in Canada, right? I think. So we thought. No, it was no, no. Be, he's born in uh, Chicago. He's from Chicago, but his oh, family oh, is Pakistani right. and Indian. Yeah. They're, That's I think right. one we, it was, I think it was last week. Indian. Yeah. Last week we had said it was a lot of Canadian or Americans, but this was, this one changed and it, it was, um, he, yeah. he explained why and it was nice. Uh, yeah, it was fine. Fun match. Move forward. Uh, I, I think you picked Ricochet. I think I might've picked Ali. I don't remember, but, uh, yeah, no, it worked. I don't think Good we match. made picks. Fun. Actually, I don't even think we made picks. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, or at least you, you were picking Ricochet for something. I figured Ricochet would eventually fight Braun is what I was saying. Yeah, but that's I, I figured I mean. that match was going to happen. Um, now, later in gorilla position, Braun, speaking of, uh, threatened to win the tournament. Ricochet told him not to look past the flippy flippers because it could bite him. <laughs> this was basically turning a shoot, uh, something Strowman said on Twitter two weeks ago uh, that really pissed off Ricochet into a work. And I thought it was pretty well done for those who don't know. You know, Braun coming out of his match with Omas at Crown Jewel was like, this was a, you know, basically a big man, five-star match, but Meltzer won't give it to us because he likes the flippy flopper. It was some bullshit, stupid thing that Braun always tweets because the guy, you know, look, candidly, his Twitter is a mess and he probably is a mess in many ways. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people got pissed off by it, mostly Ricochet and Mustafa Ali. So the fact that they kind of used that and put it on television, I thought that was pretty cool. I agree. If, if something's happening off screen you know, within the realm of like, it's okay to do, bring it on screen, like make right. it a little bit edgier, make it blur the lines a bit. That's, that's wrestling one-on-one. For sure. Now, like I said, we're going to get back to Mustafa Ali a little bit. There's uh, more about him in the Survivor Series War Games Ultimate Preview. And there's going to be more about these people in that as well. This is Butch representing England and Sami Zayn representing Canada. This was the main event of SmackDown. Zayn pushed Butch off the top rope outside, but Butch Caught him flying inside with a really big forearm. Sammy hit a blue thunderbomb and the other six guys brawled at ringside. Butch took out the Usos with a moonsault. Zayn caught him inside with an exploder. Jay wound up in the ring for some reason, getting in the way of a Huluva kick that obviously pissed off Sammy. But it also allowed Butch to catch Sammy with bitter end to advance in the tournament in eight minutes. Solo Sokoa immediately took Butch out with a spinning solo after the bell. And we'll get, like I said, to the rest of what happened in the post-match here in the ultimate preview. But given the winner of this was fighting Santos Escobar and Zayn is involved in the War Games match. And yes, I know Butch is also, but Zayn's a heel right now. It was really obvious that Butch was going to win. But the journey to get there was great. I thought it was extremely well wrestled. And while all the outside stuff did distract from the finish, it also gave Sammy a nice excuse while continuing his frustrations with Jay because Jay got in the ring. And if he didn't, then he may well have hit the Huluva kick and won the entire match. So another really good segment and a really good match also. Yeah, this was a nice way to blend two different storylines together with, with, with two wrestlers and advance them both at the same time. And match was fun. It's good. Kind of, you know, the result we expected, I think, because of that. Um, but yeah, it was good. So moving over to Raw, we had Drew McIntyre walk up on Baron Corbin and JBL while they were playing poker. JBL talked shit as usual. McIntyre challenged Corbin once more just for old time's sake. Corbin stepped to him, so McIntyre basically sucker punched him and said he'd see him in the ring if he had guts. So obviously he did because it's a wrestling show. We had McIntyre against Corbin. Uh, the start of this shocked me. Corbin basically dominated the first half. 
McIntyre escaped end of days and hit half of a future shock DDT. Corbin dodged a claymore and hit a torture rack slam. Corbin got you can't wrestle chance, which I don't really think I've heard since John Cena back in the day. I, I don't know the last time someone got a chance like that. Maybe Nia Jax, but that's crazy. Uh, he also ate an exploder into the barricade. JBL distracted as Drew went for Claymore, so Corbin hit deep six. And then suddenly, Akira Tozawa showed up and stole JBL's hat. Corbin got distracted and ate Claymore off the ropes for the one, two, three. So when I call this bad, which is my grade here, I don't mean that it was poorly wrestled or that it wasn't entertaining. That was all relatively fine. Instead, it's because McIntyre fought from under the entire match against Corbin. And he was booked to be incapable of beating Corbin without help from Tozawa. Like, it's fine to let Corbin look strong for half of a match, but he basically dominated this entire thing. The goal of it was probably to help Corbin get over in a defeat since his, you know, re-debut has just been so lackluster. But it's completely nonsensical to do this ahead of a huge show where McIntyre is one of the primary guys in the main event. So that's why I gave it bad, not because of the wrestling, not because of the entertainment. It was entertaining, but the conceptualization of this booking and match layout to me did not make a shred of sense. Yeah, I, I'm of two minds for it because yes, it didn't make sense in that in that sense, but I did appreciate that we just got into Corbin wrestling and looking strong as a wrestler after weeks of just weirdness and and so much JBL focus. Like we finally got to focus on Corbin. He got to look strong against a good wrestler on the show. Like that in general is a step forward for him. If you're going to call him the next wrestling God, like he's got to look pretty good wrestling. So I'm going to give it a, I'm going to just go over the edge and say good, because I appreciate the effort compared to what it had been the last few weeks. And you know, after what, and also kind of what we got from McIntyre on SmackDown for the War Games stuff, like it's not like McIntyre, you know, looked weak or anything. He's fine. He's Drew McIntyre. Like it, I, I thought it was fine. I thought he kind of did look weak. I got to be honest. I mean, I'm not right, but, he didn't but lose I'm, I'm the saying, match, I'm, but right, but I'm saying coming off weak. of, I'm saying coming off of the previous show being face to face with Roman Reigns, you know, like looking amazing. That's even more he reason can, why I hated it. <laughs> right, but he can have an episode. He can have a meaningless match on Raw where someone else looks better and he still wins. That's I'm. It doesn't bother me too much. It's not the end of the world. I didn't call it ugly, you know. But for me, it's bad. No. And look, we're, we're allowed to disagree. What's bad for me may be good for you. And here's a a case where that is appropriate, right? So it's totally fine. Uh, before we move on, we mentioned last week that Tazawa posted a photo of his ninja gi after Raw and said goodbye on Twitter. The good news is it was just goodbye to the gimmick not to WWE. He has switched back to his old 205 Live gimmick look, whatever you want to call it, with the dyed blonde hair, the red and white gear. Tozawa, he's just such a good low card hand to get people over and give them fun matches. Like he, he never messes up in the ring. He's highly entertaining and he's legitimately funny and you need guys like that in the company. I'm just glad he's still around and also glad that he's rid of that ridiculous gimmick that lasted way too long, and I have to believe was only written to pop one person in particular. Yeah, I guess, you know, previous, you know, he had tweeted whatever, like, thank you, whatever. He seemed to be moving on. I'd forgotten. I'd gotten, I'd gotten so used to him in this weird ninja gimmick that dates back to the Viking Raiders Street Profits thing that I forgot. I totally forgotten what the previous Tazawa looked like. So I guess he's just going back to that. So 
Sure. He still seemed like the same character. Well, he's just, he's talented in the ring. And, he, you know, if he's going to be a comedy guy, it's totally okay. But being a ninja on TV in 2022, just because you're Asian, is it's, it's, I mean, come on, it's ridiculous. It just is. And it was. Right. It was right. okay maybe for like that brief moment where, I mean, all that crazy stuff was going on during the pandemic with like retribution and, and they were doing stuff in the parking lot. And if you want to do like a, a slight change there for a couple weeks and then go away from it, fine. But I mean, he, this guy was the same character for years. It was such a joke. It was so insulting. Anyway, let's uh, keep moving on here. New Day, we're backstage with Xavier Woods sporting quite a mustache. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, they said it hurt to lose the record, the tag team championship record. Imperium called them clowns, saying they're what's wrong with wrestling. New Day mocked their accents and said Gunther looked like Lurch from Adam's family. Gunther said New Day proved their point, and then he accepted a six-man challenge from them. So we got New Day and a mystery partner against Imperium. And Braun Strowman was revealed to be that mystery partner. Uh, new Day got some new Mario Brothers inspired AR graphics. At least I think they were new. I know they've done Mario Brothers stuff before, but these specific graphics looked as if they were new. Uh, Gunther chopped Woods down as he was running for a tope, then actually ran away from Braun. Strowman got the hot tag and no sold his chop. Uh, then he chased Gunther around the ring again. Gunther chopped him inside, but Braun caught him running with a spinebuster, and New Day hit midnight hour on Ludwig Kaiser with Strowman again chasing Gunther away from breaking the cover in the finish. The fans were on fire, and it was definitely good from an entertainment standpoint. I don't love the idea of Gunther being this afraid of Braun. Like, it's kind of silly yeah. for a guy that dominant to be tail between the legs, scared of Strowman. It seemed like a giveaway also that Strowman is going to win the World Cup because then you're going to pay off Gunther being scared of him with a match. And not to book ahead here, but if he beats Gunther for the title, I mean, that would just absolutely crush me. I don't want to put the cart before the horse, though. This was a fun TV match. We'll see what happens going forward. I just really didn't love the way Gunther is being portrayed as a bully coward as opposed to just a badass. And I'm not saying that everyone in WWE that's big needs to be a silent badass. That's a trope. You know, that happens all the time. But Gunther in particular, not being a bully coward and instead being like, a you know, a, a, a guy who maybe is apprehensive of Braun, but also believes and is confident enough in himself to stand up to him, that's a character I would much more prefer. No, I wanted Gunther who's not scared of him at all. I want Gunther who, I want Gunther immediately just going up to Braun and not backing down me like, this is what I want. And and so we we like, we got it in this match. We, we kind of, you know, you kind of got it, but I just thought like, man, I want Braun and Gunther face-to-face, having a match, like, Gunther looking showing off how strong he is because he looks small compared to Braun, um, but he can still like hold himself bigger and stuff like that. So yeah, I definitely didn't like that. I thought it pulled back on on um, everything we've gotten from Gunther so far. It, it, it's about how fearless he is and strong he is. So that was very surprising, and I think I'd probably give it a slight bad because of that. Otherwise, just otherwise there was nothing really else to this. Uh, we had Matt Riddle and Elias against Alpha Academy on Raw. Riddle did a broton off Elias' shoulders onto Chad Gable. Otis caught Elias flying outside and drilled him into the barricade as Gable hit a German suplex on Riddle into the ring apron. Elias got the hot tag and hit an interesting standing neckbreaker. Otis caught him with an inverted DDT. Gable hit a flying headbutt, but Riddle broke the fall with a broton. 
Riddle Blind tagged with a strong Huracurana. It's a Gable outside and a Springboard Floating Bro onto both heels. Then Riddle flipped out of Gable's rolling German suplex and did a double tag with Drift Away and Floating Bro for the babyface win. I've been notably critical of this Riddle-Elias pairing, and from the perspective of it diminishing Riddle's like previously strong push and the serious character that he was using, I maintain that position. I'm going to remain critical of it. But there's no denying that this was a super entertaining match. Riddle and Elias had nice chemistry, better than I expected, and the crowd loved the booking. So it was good, even though it's just not how I would book these guys. Correct. I didn't like them. Like, I guess we're just making them a tag team now because there's nothing really else for Riddle to apparently do. So, okay. But I, I always hate when it's like kind of two singles guys team up and beat Alpha Academy. It happens all the time. I always hate it. Um, but fine. Sure. I, I guess I think I'll give it a slight bad because I just don't really care about this. Okay. I mean, so I mean, we're grading the segment though, not whether we care about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I didn't care about it, so to me that's not really a good. Karrion Cross fought Madcap Moss on SmackDown. Emma approached Moss backstage. He sold a horse voice from the Cross Jacket 3 weeks ago saying he wanted revenge. Emma told Moss to use his speed, and he gave her like a seductive kind of look. And when the match began, Moss did exactly that. He used his speed. It paid off. He dominated Karrion Cross for the vast majority of this match. Until Scarlet got in his way, Moss broke a chokehold, but Cross put him in the cross jacket for the submission, with referees forcing a break, and Emma also ran out, kind of worried about Moss. I thought it was really refreshing to see Moss legitimately dominate Cross, as long as he did, and Cross put him over a bit after the bell, too, with a nod of respect. The goal should be to repackage and revive Moss, and if this is to that end, it's a positive. But even in a vacuum, Moss looked like a threat to basically anyone else on SmackDown except people like Karrion Cross. I thought this was good. Another surprising good for me. Yeah. Look, we, we said, I think it was last week when, when the Emma Madcap stuff was being alluded to. And I was like, look, it's something. He's doing something better than doing nothing. And it ain't offensive. It's 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 new. It's fine. I give this one a bit of a good. You know, they're telling a story. They're doing something. Not that hard. On Raw, we had Johnny Gargano against The Miz. Gargano backstage said the only thing he wanted out of the Dexter Loomis situation was to help out an old friend by doing the right thing by him. Miz said he hurt his hand during a TikTok. He said this while he was making his entrance for the match. But since Gargano was Johnny wrestling, he found a replacement that way he could still wrestle. And then Omas entered. Gargano outsmarted him, hitting the ropes and hitting a couple super kicks. But Omas caught him flying for a choke slam and got the win in three minutes. So my gut reaction to something like this is always going to be negative. But with Triple H booking, I just don't have those natural concerns about someone like Gargano losing in this fashion. The truth is that Johnny right now is a lower mid-carder on Raw, and it was fine for him to lose to a monster in this fashion while still looking like he was figuring a couple things out and trying to knock him down. He got him on the canvas. He's being positioned as an underdog just like he was in NXT. I saw so many people overreacting to this. Not every loss is a squash or burial, even if it's a three-minute match. Omas also needs to be rebuilt after losing to Strowman, and having him beat Akira Tozawa doesn't accomplish anything. Having him beat Johnny Gargano does. So I actually worked this out as a marginal good. I'm not concerned about Gargano. You know, I'm not in love with Omas or anything like that, but it made sense to me why they booked this in this manner. And I did find it entertaining and keeping within the Miz Johnny Gargano storyline. 
Johnny Gargano, frankly, just should not beat Omas right now. There, there's <laughs> right. nothing we've seen from him to like. They're, they're so different sizes. Like this is just like the natural story. It's 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 fine. It's not like Johnny Johnny Gargano is in the middle of doing anything important right now. <laughs> he can lose this match. It's fine. Uh, if if you want to say Gargano should be doing something else, totally with you there. But yeah, this was fine, and it Omas got a win to look good. Gargano, you know, did the little guy versus big guy try to try to win it? Was creative, but ultimately just couldn't do it. Like simple stuff, it's fine. I don't think Gargano doesn't look any worse because I don't think Omas is sticking around in the story. And we'll get Gargano yeah right and, exactly. We'll get Gargano and Miz at some point, and Gargano will win, and it'll be good. It'll be fine. And and beyond being very small, Johnny Gargano against very big Omos, he also had no time to prepare for him. He didn't know that yes. it was going to happen. So and there's excuse after excuse ready for Gargano in terms of the loss. He also still got him on the ground and still got a number of moves on him. But you can't expect the guy his size to be the guy Omos's size. The argument could be, well, they just shouldn't have booked that. And okay, maybe right, perhaps. But it kept with the storyline and it made sense for a heel to go out and get the one guy that he could get. Now, I wish there was a little bit more of like Miz talking to MVP backstage earlier in the show that we were like, why is he talking to MVP? And then we see Omas come out and we're like, oh, that's why. And oh, that sucks for Gargano, right? Like build it up a little bit more. So they could have done it better. They could have been executed a little bit better. But like, again, there's a couple things that happened on Raw in particular, where I saw people online screaming, this sucks, this person's being buried. And I'm like, do you not, have you not been watching wrestling for more than a year? Like, do you, do you not understand how some of these things work? And did you not, I mean, look, I still remain critical of what they did with Austin Theory a couple of weeks ago in terms of specifically the money in the bank cashing. But did you not see how everything was so negative coming out of that show? And then literally the next week, everything was so positive about Austin Theory. Yes, Triple H does deserve hey, let's see it play out and let's see what happens. Whereas Vince McMahon and prior the creative team did not. So let's all calm down. Now, despite me saying this was a good, I do actually have an ugly before we move on. And it's for the remix of Rebel Heart, Johnny Gargano's entrance theme. It was honestly atrocious. No exaggeration. It's not like they changed the song either. It's the same lyrics and it's the same cadence. So there couldn't have been rights issues unless someone else wrote it and performed it, it's just a straight up remix with a far, far, far worse track. It is really awful in every single way. That remix deserves an ugly, and it also deserves this. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. So I, I, um, I noticed that too, and I wasn't sure why do we know was it a cfo's thing even if they made the song the lyrics that they still utilize the exact same lyrics and the right. exact same flow and all that so which i'm I fine with, which how, i was gonna say like if you can't use the cfo's version of a no, song but, for whatever but, reason but what i'm saying is think, if you can't I, use if you can't use that song theoretically you can't just remix it and utilize it, i don't given know this, that's what i'm saying but like if if I'm just saying if the scenario is we can't use the CFO's version, but we can still use the general song, we just have to redo it with something else. And that's what they chose. I like that. I, I would like them to do that more instead of changing. Well, I like that they kept it, but the remix yes. was horrible. It, I if it's it was, kept, it was but fine. it's good, it was, then it's OK. 
I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. it the other oh one's obviously God. the other one's better. I thought it was fine. It was truly awful. It, it was for <laughs> I, I I like I can't even find the words to describe how bad it was. It, it you sounded gave it like zero, the you worst. gave it a zero point zero. So it, it's true. It sounded like a what's it called when there's like a a band that's not the real band but it's a, oh, a tribute band. It was like a tribute band of Creed doing Johnny Gargano's entrance theme. It was the worst thing that they possibly could have done with it. And they changed it from a woman's voice to a man's voice. And it just completely, it affected the way that the song hits. Everything about it was bad. Oh my God. So disappointing. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> also, look, we're going to move on to the Survivor Series War Games Ultimate Preview momentarily. I don't want to make this a weekly thing because it's really unfair to crap on people regularly. But Kevin Patrick on Raw right now, he's becoming unlistenable. Like the Raw commentary, it's straight up awful. The lead-ins and exits from segments, particularly this Monday night, they were botched and clunky. Yeah. And I'm really just curious how long they're going to continue with this. I don't see how anyone is in production or Triple H in Gorilla listening to this weekly and thinking it's working or that it's a good idea. This isn't Mike Adamly bad, okay? It's not Adnan Verk bad because at least Kevin Patrick likes the product and is enthusiastic. But he is like a robot out there. It's way worse than Jimmy Smith. And I mean, look at those names I just mentioned. How bad has raw commentary been recently? I like Jimmy Smith. He wasn't necessarily the best possible choice, but like, what are they doing? Why can they not find a person to do wrestling commentary on? Bring in someone from the outside who does this for an independent promotion, but does a good job. Find your Excalibur. Find um, a lower level Tony Schiavone. Bring in Mike Tanay. Do anything Find someone, not Mike Tanay. He <laughs> didn't really do color anyway, uh, or he didn't do a play by play. I mean, I'm sorry. Um, but bring in someone who is capable of doing this because Kevin Patrick, love him as an interviewer. I like him p- perfectly fine hosting uh, the raw talks and any, you know, any of those talk show segments before pay-per-views, the kickoff shows. He is not meant to do wrestling play by play. The show is unlistenable right now. I just remain so confused by the decision like it it felt like such a vince thing to do to just be like no let's try this guy here like like i know he's done main event before and stuff like it but just like it's not there yet like it, it it's it's he's not a wrestling play-by-play guy it's just not his speaking style his commentary style because he's done the other stuff for so long and he's very good at that i just remain i remain very confused going away from jimmy smith to to, to this just I don't know. It's weird. And it was noticeable this week, not necessarily in the commentary of the match, but the the getting into the interview with Seth Rollins. Uh, yes. some of the stuff, some of the stuff at the end when there was a package coming up, they just they I don't know. If, I don't know if it was a production issue or if it was commentary, but just it stuck out again this week. There was a point where he was reading off a script the purpose of the advantage match, like right before the main event where he's like, And if, you know, the reason why we do the advantage match is because one team will have advantage, not just once, but four different times throughout the book. And it sounded like the single most scripted thing from that a a person on commentary has ever read in WWE. It's like, okay, if it's going to be scripted, that's fine. You read it a few times, you memorize it, and then you kind of do it a little bit off the cuff. It was just horrendous. The whole show, this was his worst show out of all of them. And it's, it's almost like it's getting worse as we go. I don't. And again, he seems like a really nice guy. Everyone seems to really like him backstage. The wrestlers, they seem to have great time with him on the kickoff show panels and doing the interviews and they love messing with him. Like 
you know, they don't do that with people they don't like. So clearly he seems like a nice person and I don't want him off my television, put him backstage and have him do backstage interviews and stuff. But you got to figure out another solution for raw commentary because this is not working. And you know what? It's affecting the show. One of, you know, it's one thing if a show maybe isn't the most exciting, there's not the best matches, whatever the case might be. But when the commentary is also that bad, it puts you in this impossible situation where you're going to lose viewers. People are going to say, well, this is boring. And I don't even get why I'm supposed to be excited about this because commentary is not making me excited. And they just tune out. And they really need to figure out a solution after Survivor Series. That's really the way I want to leave it. Do you have anything else to say? Nope, that's good. All right, Chris, let's move on from the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we can move into what we might as well call the main event of today's show. Our WWE Survivor Series War Games Ultimate Preview. There are five matches on this card. We are going to break down each of them along with what happened across SmackDown and Raw this week to kind of preview getting into them. Now, we do know, of course, there is a SmackDown go-home show this Friday, and the main match on that show is going to be an advantage match for the men's War Games, so we're not going to be able to include that in our analysis and commentary here. Nevertheless, we're going to break down all five of these matches, starting with AJ Styles versus Finn Balor. This is the only match on the card that either is not a title match or is not a War Games match. Will they add a sixth? It's very possible they do on SmackDown this Friday, but as of right now, we only have five matches for the show. And Judgment Day was involved in numerous different parts of Raw, but really the only thing that affected this particular match was Styles cutting a really generic backstage promo on Balor. Balor then stepped up to him saying he's not just a bad guy, he's the devil. Uh, All the OC was standing there alongside Styles. So after Balor said that, Rhea Ripley ran in and just blindsided Mia Yim with a kick to the face. And then both factions brawled out of the backstage area into the parking lot before tons of folks separated them. That was really it. I think, you know, look, we've already had AJ Styles and Finn Balor once with no build. And that match absolutely banged. Here, there's definitely a build. I'm not saying there's not. They've gone over it for multiple weeks. Styles first had to bring back the OC. Then the OC had to bring in Mia Yim just to truly even the sides against Judgment Day. And then we enter a Survivor Series pay-per-view where you think, well, this is a feud ready-made for a traditional Survivor Series match. And we don't get it. And instead, we get AJ Styles versus Finn Balor one-on-one. So they started trying to tell that individual story, which they've done. I'm not saying they haven't. It just feels like for this match, which is, remains a dream match, I think people really want them to fight in that one ultimate match where you just, it, they put everything on the line and you get the best out of both of them. And this to me doesn't come across as that type of match. I assume there's going to be interferences and distractions, especially yes, Rhea Ripley and Mia Yim are in the women's war games match. So maybe they won't get involved, but there's still the other guys on both sides. So I don't think this is going to be clean, Chris, in any legitimate way. And it's also pretty clear given how well Judgment Day has been featured and what Triple H is doing with Finn Balor on television right now, he is going to be making Finn Balor into a main eventer again. And AJ Styles also, if you look at like the last couple of years, this guy just no longer wins anything. He doesn't win his feuds and he particularly doesn't win matches on premium live events. So my prediction here is Finn Balor beating AJ Styles, probably through some interference distraction, but nevertheless winning. Yeah, I'm 
I don't know why, but I'm kind of worried about this match in that it theoretically should be a banger. These two guys are awesome. But for whatever reason, I'm concerned it's going to be not what we want between these two because of kind mm-hmm. of what you're saying, because of this isn't the one to end the feud because we're going to get the, the, the faction battle at some point. So I wonder if they just do like a B level match between them. And look on on a on a um, on a show that's going to have a triple threat, which we think will be really good. And with two war games matches, it's going to be hard to stand out. I don't know why, but I feel like I'm going to be let down by this match. But I am still, you know, looking forward to it. And I imagine we're going to get a bunch of shenanigans around it. Who did you pick again? I picked Balor. I want to clarify though before you give your pick. Are yeah. you saying that you think you're going to be disappointed based on the booking of the match or the quality of the match? The quality. I of think the, the match. wrestling is going to be fantastic. I for some reason don't. I just have this weird feeling okay. after seeing like AJ. I know he's. I know they're not the same thing, but after seeing like the AJ Edge matches that were let letdowns and just some other things. We when was the rat last truly banger Finn Balor match? Was it the what was it the Roman Reigns one a year ago? Dude, Finn Balor just put on a banger with Seth Rollins on Raw. Yeah, that's true. It I, was like it was a banger. It, just, it was. It, 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 I mean, it wasn't it, like a five star match, but it was fantastic. Yeah, I like I don't know. Just for some, like, I think he's awesome. I love him. I just I don't know why I have this weird feeling. It's not going to be great. And maybe I'm going to be pleasantly surprised. But I just I see it. Maybe it maybe it's the AJ thing. Maybe AJ is the one who hasn't really had the banger in a while because um, of just that. I agree. With. I don't think been, he, yet, he just he hasn't been doing anything for a while now. Um and this is he's on like, you know, his last contract with WWE kind of were wondering if there was going to be one more title run in him. And instead, he's just kind of been wallowing around for a while. Uh, maybe maybe it'll change. Maybe Finn will bring the best out of AJ and it'll be great. But we will see. And my pick is uh, my pick is also going to be Finn. All right, uh, let's move to the SmackDown Women's Championship. Ronda Rousey defending against Shotzi on SmackDown. We had Shotzi against Shayna Baszler. Rousey distracted early. Baszler hit a nice German suplex and then ran Shotzi into the post. Raquel Rodriguez came out basically to even things up at ringside. And Shotzi caught Shayna in a roll-up for the win in five minutes. I found this to be immensely disappointing. Shotzi is the number one contender. And she basically got dominated for an entire match only to win via roll-up. This is not how you build a title challenger for a big event. This is basically what they used to do with like Liv Morgan when like she might challenge for a title or something like that. They'd have her win a couple matches via roll up. And then she's supposed to be this legitimate contender. No, that's not what you do. You do the exact opposite. You have Shotzi go out there and beat a bunch of heels and singles matches clean saying, Hey, I'm a legitimate challenger for your title. Rousey. You need to be worried about me. This made her look fluky after she just beat five other women in a number one contendership match. I didn't like it at all. Uh, I guess when I said earlier that there was nothing bad on SmackDown, I guess I meant for the good, bad, and ugly segment, because clearly I didn't like this. I just think she should have fought someone else. If you don't want her to beat Baszler clean with a finisher, then have Shotzi fight someone else. Yeah, why can't why couldn't Shotzi have won this match? What has Shayna Baszler done? She's no, not, she did she win the match. Shotzi did win the match. She I, be a right, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I meant win in a convincing way, just like straight right. up beat you as opposed to needing a roll up, needing whatever. I, wh- why can't Shotzi just have a straight up clean win over Shayna Baszler who has won nothing forever. And she's only here to be a lackey for, for Ronda right now. Her whole job is to take the loss. And she, I know she took a loss, but she shouldn't, it doesn't need to happen like that for that. You're right. You're building Shotzi up to, to, to have to beat to, to the idea. She has to beat Ronda. Why do you not 
make people come out of thinking, oh, whoa, look at Chauncey. Maybe she could beat Ronda. Maybe something could happen here. This this tells you it's the complete opposite of that. I just, ha- I thought that was. They could have had her beat. They could have had her beat Lacey Evans. They could have had her beat um, Zia Lee. There's other women on the roster that she should have fought. And all you do is you have Rousey and Shayna Baszler at ringside and they distract. They make it a little bit more difficult for her. She overcomes the distraction yeah. and hits her finisher and beats one of the other women anyway. Why is yeah. that so difficult? It really is not. It- and, and we'll and we'll probably get something similar to that this week because we're gonna I assume both of us pick Ronda to win, so we'll probably get Shotzi standing tall at the end of this one. But I, I just don't like the setup for Shotzi, who has, like you said, she had done nothing but win that five person match. Like it didn't build up over time. You, you need to you need to build her up like they did with Liv. You know, kind of going into these things, Actually, and that just yeah. that hasn't happened. Well, my, just so you know, my uh, expectation for the Go Home SmackDown is going to be a tag team match because Raquel Gonzalez came out. So Raquel and Shotzi against Baszler and Rousey. And my assumption is they combine to beat Baszler, you know, yeah. uh, with Shotzi probably pinning Baszler a second time. But still, you know, like they, they could have done so much better throughout this entire build for Shotzi. This is the only women's like non-war games match on the entire show. It's one of two title matches. You need to make this woman look legitimate. And by the way, making Shotzi look legit helps Ronda Rousey too when she beats her. And I know they're mostly, you know, biding time with Rousey until probably other people come back for her to feud with. But it doesn't do Rousey any service to have a challenger come up there that everyone knows she's going to beat. At least create a sense where it's like, well, you know, Shotzi, she's this ballsy badass. Uh, You can't keep her down. Baszler can do this to her. She's not going to tap. They didn't do any of that. There, There was no build for Shotzi as a character or a legitimate competitor in her run to going to face Ronda Rousey as a challenger, which is just ridiculous. And yeah, you said it. Rousey's retaining the title. There's zero chance that Shotzi wins. So that's the prediction. Is there anything else you kind of want to say before we uh, move on to the next match? Yeah, the the goal of Shotzi versus Ronda should be to build Shotzi into something moving forward. And and they, they haven't done that yet. Legitimize Shotzi, give Rousey a big win, or not a big win, but a, a notable win. Yes. to retain her title. And right now, neither of those is going to get accomplished. And that's unfortunate. Now, their match, by the way, could still be great. In fact, I do think this match will be good. I should I should note that. Shotzi's a very good wrestler. So her and Rousey together, I think they could do some really inventive, fun stuff. I have, uh, no, idea they, what to, I have no idea what to expect from this match. It could be good. It could be horrible. I honestly feel like the range is very wide. Oh, I, I disagree that it could be horrible. But I'm I'm optimistic that the match will be quality. But they haven't done anything to really legitimately get us excited about it. Uh, let's move to the newest match that has been booked for the show. Seth Rollins versus Bobby Lashley versus Austin Theory in a triple threat match for the United States Championship. On Raw, Seth Rollins was interviewed via satellite. He explained that he asked for this match because he knows he can survive and get past Lashley and Theory's just stupid, so he doesn't really concern himself with beating him. Rollins said Theory timed his cash and attempt well, but the reason he was stupid isn't because of that, but because of jumping Rollins last week. Rollins said he used to be Theory, basically saying Theory is a younger version of him. Then he brought up Cody Rhodes still being out before saying this match, this triple threat match, would be a war because all three of them are on the edge, ready to snap at any second. And I did find that to be an interesting part of the build because basically you have three guys who are kind of all heels, but also in some ways all tweeners, even though Theory is probably the most heelish out of all of them. But they're all in this murky area right now. And Rollins kind of contextualizing it in that manner, I thought was interesting. Theory was infuriated watching Rollins backstage, saying that him hitting rock bottom was the best thing to happen because he's not the next this 
or the future that. He's a new man ready to be taken seriously. Both of these promos, Rollins and Theory, I thought were tremendous. Rollins sold the hell out of a match that had not even been announced until he started talking. He also put over Theory two different times. Theory doubled down on his comments from last week, and he was totally believable in everything that he said. I thought it was just top tier stuff from both of them. I'm, I'll, I'll get into this more when we talk about the match, but I am all in on theory right now. Like, it doesn't change the cash-in issues that we had, but they have very much turned this around in a big way, and I'm very excited about his future. The point about everybody kind of being tweener, this is the issue we talked about last week where Seth Rollins is the face because people like to hear his like to sing a song that's kind of where we're at with that and Lashley's not really a heel because there's no reason to not like him other than him beating up Mustafa Ali but nobody cares about Mustafa Ali so it's everybody's just kind of in this weird spot and honestly the person I think has the most uh clear direction is theory and I think he's standing out more because of that I think that's a good point he does have the most clear direction going into this match. That's that's definitely correct. Uh, so we had Theory against Ali, a scheduled match immediately after this promo. Ali was selling his injured ribs even before the bell. Commentary was focused on selling Mustafa's guts and fortitude because he was wrestling injured. And I will say, out of all the criticisms that I just gave Kevin Patrick uh, for commentary you know, throughout the show, basically, this match, he and Corey Graves both did a really good job putting over Mustafa Ali on commentary during the wrestling. Uh, Ali got really good offense, including a sunset flip powerbomb out of the corner, and he hit his 450 splash finisher. But on the landing, he sold the ribs. He was unable to cover Theory in time. Ali got pounced off the ropes into the barricade. That gave Theory an opening for A-Town Down and the win. I mentioned this a little bit ago with Johnny Gargano. I saw people screaming that Ali is getting buried worse under Triple H than under Vince McMahon after this. And I'm just starting to really believe, Chris, that some fans turn off their brains while watching television. Okay, number one, Ali wasn't on TV during Vince McMahon, okay? (laughs) Now he's involved in tournaments, or one tournament for the Intercontinental Championship, putting on an absolute banger with Ricochet. And here, he's involved in a long-term storyline with one of the greatest young talents in the company, in Austin Theory, one of the biggest names in Seth Rollins, and one of the people who's been the most over over the last two years in Bobby Lashley. How do you not see that as Ali being utilized well? Like, it doesn't make a shred of sense to me. I thought this was extremely well done. Ali had an excused loss before the bell even rang because of the injury, yet he showed out. He got a vast majority of the offense. He even hit his finisher, which would have been a win if he wasn't injured. And again, commentary was singing his praises the entire match. How can you be blind to that if you're watching this? It just seems like the setup is kind of clear here with Ali being kept strong to challenge whoever wins the triple threat. The booking across SmackDown and Raw for Ali, for me, made total sense. And this was extremely entertaining. I love this. This is going to continue what I was wanted to say about theory, but like this aggressiveness, this power that he's using, because he's a big, strong, he's a strong guy. This is like, like I said, I'm all in on this Austin Theory, not the guy who's taking selfies and being sarcastic and Mm -hmm. talking about he's the future. The story they're telling is, hey, I got too high on myself. I messed up. I got to just get back to working. And he's working. And he's a heel. But like 
you can feel it. You can the, the the story they're telling is the story of his career right now. It like it's totally working. Just like the snarl on his face, the beard instead of the goatee, everything about theory. This is the future star that they see. The theory we got this week and last week. So they clear this is the plan that they had. They had to get the briefcase off him. They did it in a weird way, but they clearly had a plan for him, and they are executing that plan. Uh, a a, 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 yeah, sorry, I thought you were done. No, no, I was no, going to say one thing about Ali, but you go ahead. I, oh, I, I'm going to totally veer off the rails here. So say one more thing on Ali. Please. Okay. <laughs> Ali is, he's being used. That's better than not being used. It's better than being a retribution. They are trying with him. However, yes. I just don't think it's working. Like they wanted, hey, he's the guy who fights through it all. He loses, but he, he tries hard. He's scrappy underdog type of stuff. I get it. People just aren't connecting to that yet. It, 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 he got it, people cheered when when Lashley went at him last week. It just it hasn't connected there yet because we haven't had a reason to really connect with him other than he right. loses. And so we we he needs to either get some wins. We need to get some vignettes about his backstory before people I think really get behind him. I think that's exactly right. Um, I think what they've done with him on SmackDown and Raw is one hundred percent totally fine, and it's made for two really entertaining matches. And the story they're telling is a perfectly fine story that is meant to get him over. The purpose and the goal of, of what they're doing with Ali booking-wise is to get him over. Just because it's not working, which it's not, doesn't mean that they're burying him or that they're treating him poorly. It's just not right. resonating with the fans right now because they don't have a... Yeah, he's injured and yeah, he's fighting through it. He's showing a lot of guts and fortitude. But number one, they're not hearing commentary. Tell them that, those in the arena. And number two... We've seen that so many times. They don't have a reason to specifically root for this guy. They need to be given that reason, whether it's vignettes, backstage segments. You know what it might be? Him just feuding with real heels that are getting massive heat. Someone like Dominic Mysterio or someone like that, right? Because guess what? People were cheering Bobby Lashley and they still want to cheer Bobby Lashley. And people want to cheer Seth Rollins. Mm -hmm. um, Theory was really the first time that he was against someone that the crowd was okay with booing and it did result in Ali getting more cheers in this match than he did in his last match, which was against who ricochet, a baby face that the fans like to cheer. So yeah. they're not really giving him the best foils to accomplish the goal that they want to accomplish. But in terms of the booking and in terms of him being in great matches and losing because of injured ribs that are so obvious that they're taped and he's selling them before the bell even rings. If you can't see that, then you either are either a brand new wrestling fan and you're still kind of learning, or you're just sticking your head in the sand and you want to talk about industry terms, burying and squash, things that you just are overusing or using incorrectly uh, because you want to complain about something. There's really nothing to complain about here other than fans not really buying it and it not resonating with fans. That's really what I wanted to get at. Uh, I did say we were going to veer off the rails uh, real quick. Uh, give me a good, bad, or ugly for the following two things. Austin Theory going from goatee to beard and Seth Rollins going from regular dark hair to the blonde with the now puffiness that he's rocking. Absolute good for theory on the beard. 100% right direction. With Seth, I don't mind the blonde in there, but the puffiness is weird. The puffiness is making him look goofy to me. I think well, I know he's, all, I know he's always looked. I know he's always looked goofy, but he looked like sharp and goofy. Now he looks kind of messy and goofy. Yeah, that that's exactly uh, how I feel. the The beard. It's amazing how different Theory looks with a beard instead of a goatee. It fits him 
a million times better. And with Rollins, again, the word is probably volume, not puffiness that I mean for his hair, but it's just a way worse look. Like I, I thought he looked like you're right. Slick, cool, you know, calculated, still like that kind of guy yeah. with the slick hair and the blonde adding the blonde to that was OK. But now, like having it be flowing like that, it's just I don't know. It makes the character less serious to me. It's probably with, the best with way. the beard it, with the beard. Oh, oh go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just saying it makes him less serious and kind of just like, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't buy this Rollins as much as I did the one before, I guess. Right. He doesn't look, he doesn't feel intimidating at all. Uh, right. With, with, with right. theory, the the goatee to beard, it's the same thing with Roman Reigns. Like you look back at Roman Reigns with a goatee yes, right. compared to the yep. beard now, the amazing beard he has now. And you're just like, oh, why did, why did anybody ever think goatee was the thing? Goatees are not in. Beards have been in for like a decade now. They're still in. It's still the way to go. I got to trim mine up before Thanksgiving dinner on Thursday. You know who else uh, transitioned from goatee to beard? This guy, Silver King. I had a goatee. There I rocked go. it for a long time. I've recently transitioned to a finely manicured beard. And I feel like, I mean, I don't know that I do, but I feel like I look a lot better uh, than I did previously. Anyway, let's get right back into this whole theory thing. There's more stuff happened here. A theory went to attack Ali after the bell, after their match. When Lashley appeared on the Titan Tron saying Theory got his attention, but couldn't match him and he dared him to stay in the ring. Uh, so after commercial, Theory's in the ring. He doesn't back down. Lashley comes down. Theory blames him for costing him the title. He pointed out how Brock Lesnar kicked his ass twice. Theory refused to back down again, even as Lashley was getting into the ring. So Lashley beat his ass with a release belly to belly suplex. Theory grabbed the chair after he was thrown over the barricade, but Lashley no sold a shot to the back and then chased Theory into gorilla position, where Theory took Ali, who was nursing his injury, picked him up and threw him at Lashley, and then Lashley took his aggression out further on Ali with a hurt lock. They went three for three, I thought, in these segments. The promos with Rollins and Theory nailed it. The Theory-Ali match nailed it, and this with Theory being a heel, but not being a chicken shit, standing up, allowing Lashley to come at him and attack him, I thought it was fantastic. Um, the fact that he just didn't cower knowing that Lashley is this dominant guy. And then involving Ali again, it reminded us he is just as much a part of this storyline as them, despite him not being in the match. Yes. I, I First of all, I loved that from theory again. No, I'm not backing down. I'm staying here. I'm not backing down from Bobby Lashley. And then eventually he had to be like, nah, I got to do something. I'm going to beat up, beat up him. So he's still a heel. Uh, yeah, it worked. Totally worked. That now leaves us, Chris, with the opportunity to predict this match, who we think is going to win and what is going to happen going forward. Why don't you go first? Tell me who you think wins the United States Championship triple threat, Rollins-Lashley theory. I think it's Rollins because I don't really see any reason for things to change. I don't think theory going in from cashing in and missing out to then winning the title like three weeks later makes any sense. Lashley also recently had the title, doesn't need it. You could even move off into another theory versus Lashley storyline or, or, or Ali or, or something. Um, I just don't really see a reason to change it. I think Rollins holds on to it. I'm right there with you. Lashley in the future, it seems like we're going to get another match with Brock Lesnar. So he's kind of biding his time until that happens. Theory, you do not have him fail the cash and just to go win the title here and beat Rollins anyway, because he's not going to pin Bobby Lashley, obviously. That doesn't make sense. And Rollins still is relatively new as the champion. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense to take the championship off him either. So ultimately, I feel like Theory's the fall guy. He takes a lot of abuse from Lashley. 
you know, Rollins pushes Lashley out of the ring, hits the stop, pins Theory one, two, three, something like that. Rollins retains the title. The question is, does the Rollins-Lashley feud end? Because Lashley has come out and basically said, my goal is to get this US championship back and I'm not going to stop until I do. Well, once this ends, is he just going to now fight Rollins one-on-one through the end of 2022 and then maybe restart Lesnar for Royal Rumble season? I'm not exactly sure. That's part of the problem, you know, like I talked about going into Survivor Series War Games. There's a lot of builds specifically for this show. Generally, with WWE, once a show ends, you have a pretty good idea of where people are going next, especially when they when titles are involved and they're not going to lose those titles. But here, I just don't really have answers for a lot of that. And it's kind of tough to project going forward when, again, you have Lashley out there saying, hey, I'm going after this until I win it back. So we will find yeah, out. I mean, maybe maybe Ali interferes in some way and then we get a fatal four way plan for December sometime or the rumble or something. That could definitely be a possibility, especially if they're going to push Lesnar off until WrestleMania. I mean, they very well could go Brock Lesnar, Bobby Lashley rubber match at WrestleMania instead of Royal Rumble. That's a huge mania match. No doubt about it. It just seems like a really long time to wait to do that one more time, especially when they're, you know, trying to put big matches on the Royal Rumble card as well. But again, you can go back to my booking. If you remember, I mentioned this, I think, in the lead up to their crown jewel match. That's where they fought, right? Lesnar and Lashley? Yes. I think my booking, uh, when I was booking the damn territory for that, I said you have Lesnar return in the Royal Rumble to eliminate Lashley. That keeps them angry at each other and then builds the WrestleMania match for there. So maybe that's what they ultimately do. We'll find out starting Saturday. That allows us to move on to the two War Games matches, women's War Games and men's War Games. Let's start with the women. We have Bianca Belair, Asuka, Alexa Bliss, Mia Yim, and a fifth competitor to be announced against Damage Control, Nikki Cross, and Rhea Ripley. So we're going to start with what happened on Raw. The faces spoke without Mi Chin, who was involved in the parking lot brawl. Belair said they're all ready for war. Bliss was focused on Cross. Belair said the final decision for their fifth member will come on SmackDown and fans won't be disappointed. Well, I'll tell you who was disappointed. The Albany crowd at Raw. Uh, They immediately booed for good reason because it's a completely Raw feud, yet they don't get the moment of the fifth woman reveal. Bailey said they were stalling because no one respects her enough to join their team. And look, I don't always agree when crowds are fickle, but they were right to be pissed here. By saying it's a big announcement and delaying it until Friday to drum up anticipation, like, of course, they're going to be angry at that. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to push it off until Friday, at that point, why not just save it for war games? Why would you screw over the raw crowd and then give this person away 24 hours before the big show? Just have the person show up at war games the same way Kevin Owens did a couple years ago in NXT. I thought... It had a potential to be a really nice moment to end Raw. They didn't do it. Uh, The moment eventually, if it's who we think it's going to be, we'll talk about that in a moment, Chris. It's going to be get a huge reaction, a massive pop, and it's going to make for a great way to enhance the match. So if you're not going to do it on Raw, do it on War Games. Doing it on SmackDown to me does not make any sense. Agree. It's kind of like when you're like, we're going to have our match next week on Raw. And the, the, so the crowd in the arena is like, well, okay. I'm, I'm actually but guess who does that, that, Chris? Guess who does that? The heel does that. 
No, the faces do it too sometimes. The heels uh, normally. The heels like it's nah, usually the heels. It. I'll fight you. I'll fight you, but not in this shithole of all. Not in this. Yeah, yeah. 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 But but sometimes it'd be like I'm challenging you next week. We're gonna do it, and it's like eh, okay. But yeah, like yeah, that's that's part of the deal. I'm surprised it played out like that. SmackDown, like like I don't know. Are you gonna get a ton more? buys off of something that happens late on a Friday night of Black Friday leading into Thanksgiving college football rivalry Saturday. Like, I don't know. Like, that's why I'm surprised they didn't do it here. It just, yeah, it didn't make sense. Again, if you're not doing it on Raw, you do it on the pay-per-view and you, you save the big moment for the crowd paying hundreds of dollars each for tickets. You don't just give it away on SmackDown. It's stupid. Now, Chris, by saying it's a big announcement and by delaying it until Friday, to drum up anticipation, I think we can pretty much disqualify uh, Candice LeRae as the fifth option. She was one of the three women we talked about as the potential person. That leads me back to either Becky Lynch or Beth Phoenix as the two options. But with no imminent return for Edge and my original thought that Beth Rhea would be held off as a way to give Ripley a big win before WrestleMania, it just feels like it has to be Becky at this point. So that's my prediction, I guess, in terms of who the fifth, fifth woman is. What do you think? Yeah, my pick was Candace when we did this last week or something like that. Uh, I think now with the, the, the kind of teasing this announcement, pushing it back, making that kind of a focus right now, I think it's got to be Becky. I you, I don't think I don't think that kind of announcement is going to be a Beth Phoenix type of situation in terms of the reaction you're going to want to get. So I think it's got to be Becky. Yeah, I mean, I think Beth would get a big reaction, but you don't really do it this way for that. Beth should be someone it's, who shows up like when Rhea's about to accomplish something and Beth shows up to screw her over, right? You don't really do it. Yeah. Hey, Beth Phoenix is going to be in this match, especially, by the way, when they're building Rhea Ripley and Mia Yim as a feud. So then why would she be feuding with two people in the match? It doesn't really make sense. Yeah, and, and Beth Phoenix, like, she wouldn't be coming back for a surprise. She'd be coming back to kick ass because the last time we saw her, she got concertoed. Right. You know, so it's not like uh, we're going to surprise you. Ah, we're going to hold up like Beth Phoenix in theory would be like, I just I, she's just going to show up one day and start beating him up and saying, I'm the fifth person. Like, that's how you would normally do that. Right. Like if Becky came back a couple weeks ago because she was going to be the foil for damage control uh, because of the history of, you know, what happened as she was leaving and, and Bianca Belair being attacked and, and SummerSlam and that, that whole deal. The, and then you had an open spot. And that person was going to go against Rhea Ripley, then it would make sense to bring Beth Phoenix back. But you already did that with Mia Yim. So that part of it's already solidified. So now the open spot is really someone to combat damage control. And that person would be a Becky Lynch or a Candice LeRae. And Becky Lynch makes by far the most sense if you're pushing it out and delaying the announcement. Anyway, on Raw, we did have the advantage match for War Games Asuka against Rhea Ripley. Asuka did a hip attack with Ripley's head hanging off the apron. Ripley did a nasty dropkick, knocking Asuka off the ropes. Asuka caught Rhea with a sliding knee, but missed a hip attack. Asuka then countered Riptide into half of a submission when damage control and then the faces all reappeared. Asuka locked Ripley in an armbar, but she countered into a pinfall and caught Asuka after a missed roundhouse kick with Riptide. Like Asuka was bent over and she just grabbed her arm uh, between her legs and hit Riptide for the win in 16 minutes. The teams brawled after the bell. Bliss hit EO Sky really snug with a punch. Ripley stood tall, but Meechin ran down to brawl into the crowd. Asuka then splashed the others outside, and that basically ended it kind of on a little bit of a low note, I would say. Now, Asuka and Ripley, if you remember, they had a feud relatively recently that went into WrestleMania that was just massively disappointing in the ring. They had negative chemistry. Well, they figured it out because this was 
awesome work. I thought it was a great match. And the finish was perfectly executed with Ripley just happening to catch Asuka prone at the right time to hit Riptide. I love Asuka, but Ripley absolutely had to win. She's the future of the Raw Women's Division. And it's always better when heels have an advantage in a War Games match and the baby faces have to work from under. So I thought the booking was fantastic. The right person won. The match was super entertaining. The only thing that bothered me about all of this, Chris, was that we didn't see the women until like the final 40 minutes of the show. But other than that, we got a really nice go-home match given this feud has been so long and so involved already. I'm glad it's almost over. And this to me was a good way to sell it. Not perfect, not great, but it was good. Yeah, it was weird. We got the big splash outside. And then instead of being like, oh man, craziness, well, we'll we'll see you Friday or we'll see you Saturday, like as it fades out. They went from that to like showing graphics of every match before the show. So it was just like, all right, we're just we're moving past the women. women. We're going to remind you of the matches and then we'll then we'll we'll kick it out of here. That was a strange way to end the show. But yeah, match was good. Rhea Asuka loved it. Heel had to win. Heels have to have the advantage in war games. That's the whole point of all of this. So, uh, yeah, no, it was it was it was good. It was solid. All right. Now, moving over to war games, obviously making a prediction for this match. Look, Bianca Belair has basically already beaten damage control one on three. So if you're putting them all inside war games, right, you really have to consider that. And the fact that Mia Yim is just coming back and the fact that they have that fifth member to be announced that we think is going to be Becky Lynch. Are they really going to have Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair lose this match to a group in damage control that has basically only lost Nikki Cross, who, yeah, she's kind of this new character, um, but there's nothing behind her that makes it a big deal, you know, for her to potentially lose. And Rhea Ripley, who's really the one woman on the heel side who just should theoretically not be involved in a losing situation. Now, there's something to be said for having Ripley pin Belair in this match to go ahead and set up their feud. But in my opinion, that's a WrestleMania feud. You have Rhea Ripley perhaps win the Women's Royal Rumble and challenge Bianca Belair for the championship. You don't really have her pin Belair in November and then build to a match at the Royal Rumble or something like that. That's just not how I would do it unless for some reason you want to do that feud at the Royal Rumble, you want to do Rhea Ripley and Beth Phoenix for WrestleMania, and then you want to do Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley 2 at SummerSlam and have Ripley beat her there. But it's kind of getting convoluted to stretch it out all the way to next summer when it's already November, even though, yes, I love long-term storytelling, but that's very, very long to get to that point when there is still a limited women's roster on Raw and an even more limited women's roster on SmackDown. So again, looking at this match um, and considering the elements, the people that are going to be involved, to me, it just makes the most sense for the babyface team to win. I think you have Dakota Kai in this match who can easily take the fall, if not her, Nikki Cross. Two people, obvious losers, um, or obvious potential losers. I'm not saying they are losers. Whereas on the women's side, the babyface women's side, really, you're talking about Oscar or Alexa Bliss, and I don't really think they want to keep beating both of them. So therefore, I am picking the babyfaces, Bel Air, Oscar Bliss, Yim, and TBA, who I think will be Becky Lynch, uh, to win the women's war games. I think both of these war games are a little bit harder to pick than maybe you think initially. Absolutely. But ultimately, I think if Becky Lynch is coming back, 
she's going to get a win. And damage control is not in a position where they, you know, they're some dominant faction. They've lost a bunch. Nikki Cross can easily take a loss. She's doing nothing. I just see a lot more people on that side that can take a loss. Rhea can be disgusted with them and go back to doing her uh, Judgment Day stuff with, with Mia Yim. I, I don't love this face women's team. Like I've said many times, the Bianca Alexa Asuka grouping just has zero on-screen chemistry to me. I've been very just kind of bored of them for a long time. Hopefully this is the end of it. But I think I'm going to pick the faces because of our presumption that Becky Lynch is that person. Now, if it's not, if it's Beth Phoenix, I think I would take the heels. If it's somebody other than Be- than Becky, would you take the heels? Yes, I would. I think so, too. If it's Candice LeRae, um, I mean, which would just be such a huge disappointment to build. I, I love Candice. But to build up this huge announcement and then have it be her on SmackDown, like it's going to be met with crickets. If it was Candice, um, I would have the heels win. If it's Beth Phoenix, I think it would make sense for Ripley to pin her. I yeah. do. In a situation where she takes a lot of damage from other people, Ripley pins her, ha ha ha, I'm st- I've still got one over on you. Then you can build that singles match theoretically for the Royal Rumble. Right. So yeah, I think Becky Lynch is kind of, pun not intended, the linchpin uh, to me definitely picking the baby faces. But I do think also it makes the most sense for the faces to win this match. It finally would end the Bel Air feud with damage control, allow all these women to finally go their separate ways and hopefully do individual feuds and not just all be stuck together the entire time um, and maybe develop some women's tag teams and, and kind of move on with everything. They need to move on with the Raw Women's Championship. They need to move on with the Women's Tag Team Championship. And they just got to fix this division because the booking right now has been stale across the board, Chris. And I'll tell you what, I was going to bring this up as well. Speaking of stale, I think we all love Bianca Belair and think she has a huge ceiling in WWE. And it's she's already been massively impressive. But to me, she's starting to get stale to me. It's like she's been in one feud over three months, has already beaten everyone involved multiple times, and has no obvious challenger left outside of Ripley, who we just said should probably be for WrestleMania at this point. The post-match beatdown that we got on Raw was a great example. It was a battle everyone's fighting. And then Bianca Belair shows up and one punch knocks out three different women. It's like her character just has no depth other than being incredibly dominant. And I think that's going to start to wear on the audience. So my hope is that coming out of this, they just do something a little bit different, a little bit more intriguing and interesting with Bianca Belair. Look, we said this, or I said this after the ladder match with, with Bailey was like, Oh, okay. So just, she's beaten everybody now and she's beaten Bailey and, she beat Bailey on her own. She beat Damage Control one on three that one time. The only negative thing that's happened to her since she won the title was getting pinned at Clash at the Castle to set up a feud that Bianca won. And especially if she stands tall here. Yeah, she's John Cena now. Like she is 100% women's John Cena. And I say that also to mean, I don't know if they're ever going to turn her face or turn her heel. Yeah. Because she is such a good literal face of the company type of person you can put her everywhere and she kills it everybody loves her. i don't think the crowds and i also don't think the crowd's gonna turn against her ultimately i not yet yeah i don't think they will i'm not like john cena i i don't really she may she may kind of get boring to people 
you know, and there was that one time Bailey got booed or booed wherever that was. Um, mm-hmm. And that launched her heel turn. But I don't think I don't think crowds are going to generally turn around on Bianca like they have in the past. And I I think Bianca would be an incredible heel. I think it needs to happen at some point. I don't know if it will be, but you're right. She's pretty stale right now, partly because she's been locked in this feud and not just defending her title and looking like a badass, which is the best part of Bianca Belair. Right. Like, look, I hated the fact that she fought Dewdrop four times on Raw. But you know what happened? She looked amazing fighting Dewdrop four times on Raw. And like Dewdrop's disappeared, obviously. Um, But so, you know, there's plenty of women on this roster that she can go and beat and fight and, and put on good matches with, do tag team matches involving her. Um, let her partner take the losses, have her show frustration that she's so dominant and others are not. I mean, there's just so many different ways that you could build her personality and and just get her a little bit more depth. I mean, right now it's just really base level stuff. And and you're right. She is so insulated that she's just not going to get booed. It's not going to happen, at least not now. But, you know, again, the title reign is kind of boring. She's getting a little bit boring. That doesn't mean we don't like her. Doesn't mean we don't think that her ceiling is immensely high. It's just stating facts like they need to do a little bit more with, with her, but not just her, the entire women's division. It remains underbooked from a creativity standpoint by Triple H and this new regime. And it's really frustrating because we've seen him do a really good job booking women. Maybe it's because he was handcuffed with some storylines that existed, maybe because of Becky's injury that was obviously not planned. That changed some issue, some things that were going to be in the works following the return of damage control. It just kind of feels like they got to figure out a way to give not just Belair, a lot of these different women, personalities and storylines that are not just them all grouped together on Raw. And then on SmackDown, they just got to use the talent that they have. Yes, they need a draft. Yes, they need to bring women up. Um, they have to really shake up both of the rosters, make some legitimate tag teams. There's a lot they need to do, but it starts on Raw with doing more and better by Bianca Belair. Chris, with that, let's move over to men's war games, which we assume will be the main event of Survivor Series war games, the bloodline against the Brawling Brutes, Drew McIntyre, and a fifth member. We're going to get right to that fifth member. Now, a lot transpired on SmackDown. So the Silver King is going to break all of that down. We're going to get Chris involved for that. Then we have to go back and talk more about Raw. Point is, we have a ton to discuss as it pertains to men's war games. So the faces opened the show on SmackDown. Sheamus said he and McIntyre developed a mutual respect. And then he made his real life marriage kayfabe by noting that McIntyre was in his wedding party. Fans chanted Usi. Sheamus said they're feeling broody. And they gave a cliffhanger about the fifth man on their team. Sami Zayn came out saying the bloodline doesn't care who they choose for the fifth man. Then he guaranteed that they would win. Sheamus said their choice would make Zayn crap his pants because he wouldn't expect it. Jey Uso backstage criticized Sammy for speaking for the bloodline. Zayn said he did nothing wrong. He was just being confident, saying that they were going to win. Jimmy told them both to chill. Sammy walked off screen. Then Sammy came back on screen to dap up Jimmy, and Jay completely broke laughing his ass off. It seemed as if the entire thing was improv, that he wasn't supposed to come back, but he did anyway. Jay asked his brothers if they actually liked Sammy. Jimmy said, yeah. Solo kind of shrugged and no-sold it. I thought the whole thing was pretty funny. Then they encountered the Usos did Cross backstage and they asked, are you the fifth member? Cross said he's not a follower. And when he does come to take Roman Reigns titles, he will show up on his own. So then earlier I mentioned we had the Sami Zayn against Butch match. After that match ended, the War Games teams brawled. Reigns slowly made his entrance to clean house. McIntyre was left standing in the ring. 
Sokoa distracted Drew. That allowed Reigns to hit him with a spear. Sheamus then stood off with Reigns. That got a huge pop. Mm-hmm. They brawled. Mm-hmm. Zayn then distracted them, giving Reigns an opening for a Superman punch on Sheamus. And then when Reigns set up to spear Sheamus, suddenly Kevin Owens' music hit to a huge pop. KO slowly walked down. Reigns warned him not to get in the ring, but he stared Roman down to holy shit chants that were so loud and long that Fox muted things for 15 seconds on the broadcast. (laughs) You know what really takes the heat out of a segment for the home viewing audience? Muting your audio feed for 15 seconds so the fans at home can't hear a crowd loudly chanting and cheering for someone. Fucking idiotic. Uh, KO stomped the shit out of Reigns. Zayn distracted. That allowed Reigns to hit a Superman punch, but Owens countered the spear with a kick, and then he hit a stunner, standing tall on his own as Sammy's jaw was on the floor, shocked at what just happened to end SmackDown. All right, let's break all this down. The opening was okay. It did set up the main event. There were a few fantastic moments here, though. First, the standoff with Reigns and Sheamus, that was an indicator to me that a one-on-one feud may be next. Then you had Reigns looking at Sammy disappointed because he lost the match, which perhaps sets up the breakup given the bloodline simply doesn't lose and Zayn lost. And then we had the reveal of Owens, which I thought was just tremendous. The pacing and timing of KO's entrance, it led to huge pops. He's obviously the right choice as the fifth man. And beyond that, they let Owens come out on top of Reigns on SmackDown, which almost never happens. I love that everyone on the babyface side has a reason to be in the match. The main question here is KO's health. We'll talk about that in a little bit. This would have been a perfect go-home moment. I know why they did it this week because of all the reasons you mentioned. Black Friday, SmackDown, 24 hours before Survivor Series War Games. That's why they did it on this show and not this coming Friday. But this was awesome. This told fans, you have to watch Survivor Series You cannot miss this match. Extremely well done. 10 out of 10. Awesome. Up front, I'm saying it's awesome. My my biggest takeaway or thought while watching the various people go face-to-face with Roman Reigns was maybe the company wants to see who gets the biggest reactions and maybe that determines who gets the singles match at the Royal Rumble. I I don't know because first it was McIntyre. Takes off his shirt. Again, looks like a million fucking bucks when he's got jeans and no shirt. Just credible dude. And commentary sold it well. He's got, he's got unfinished business. Solo Sokoa cost him the match. Big pop for Drew when he was facing off with, with Roman. I didn't think the Sheamus pop was actually that big. I actually rewatched it this morning before we started this pod. I was expecting a bigger pop, a holy shit type of stuff with Sheamus Roman. And we didn't really get that. And then Kevin Owens happens, and that's the big one. That's the that's the big reaction there. So I, I kind of saw the way they like laid out that segment, and I was like, I wonder if they they want to decide who's going to be the one based on the crowd reaction. I don't know. Just it was a thought that came to mind. But it, as I saw it, I was just like, also, it's it's gonna be tough for Cody Rhodes to top that if we think Cody is the guy to go one on one with Roman. That pop that Kevin Owens gets and the reaction he gets facing off facing mm-hmm. off with Roman, the reaction that Drew still gets and just how that looks going face to face, the way the Clash of the Castle went. It, the, re- the reaction that Sami Zayn would get, theoretically. Sami Zayn, sure, too. I mean, unlikely, but reaction to like, it's a high bar that Cody Rhodes' return and face off with Roman is going to have to cross. I think he can get it. 
but I think it's also just a testament to how just how good Roman is and, and how many people there are that people want to see be the one to take him off. But it, it's a, it's a high bar because they've done a good job building that up. Um, so that, that whole segment was great. L- legitimately, just like, like you said, you got to watch this match at war games. Like it's going to be madness. Like love everybody in this match. The stories are endless. Love seeing the bloodline in a five person match for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's just so much interesting stuff about this match. This is a match you you base an entire pay-per-view around, and I can't wait for it. The only thing we've seen them do is Reigns and the Usos, a triple uh, tri- uh, six-man. We've yeah. never seen uh, eight or ten, and now we finally get the entire bloodline together, which is awesome. Before we get into breaking down the match, a couple more things. Uh, one thing about KO, and then we'll talk about what happened on Raw. So unlike what happened with Cody Rhodes, where... He tore his pectoral and he couldn't injure that anymore by actually wrestling. It was just pain tolerance. Knee injuries are finicky, right? Now, reportedly, KO has at least a sprained MCL. And in this segment on Friday night, I thought he was being extremely careful. Like he clearly did not run down to the ring. Mm -hmm. He slowly walked down. He was kind of a little bit ginger in there doing stuff. But there were reports I saw that Owens worked a live event, a match against Theory over the weekend. So if his MCL is bothering him to the degree that it's a serious concern, I can't imagine he would wrestle at all before war games. You'd want him rehabbing that and taking as much time off as possible. So it must not be that bad. Now, look, I don't have any reportable information on this. If I had to guess, he's going to power through this, maybe sell the knee as an excuse for a short absence uh, during the match, you know, sell it after the match. But, and this is a big but, it does not take much for a sprain of a ligament to result in a tear or for one weakened ligament to affect the integrity of a knee, making other ligaments more susceptible to injury. Point being, I just hope this all works out. And I hope I simultaneously hope that KO avoided serious injury, but I also hope that he doesn't go into this match, which look, the guy's going to be jumping off shit. He's going to be running. He's, you know, he's not going to be able to really hide a lot of these things in a war games match. I just hope he doesn't come out of it seriously injured because there's big money in him getting shit done, you know, on the road to WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, and then WrestleMania. I agree. And I, and, and I also don't want him to get hurt. I should also note yeah, that. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you right. Know, so uh, you, you, ha- you, you have to imagine they can set this up in a way where e- e- either he's okay and he does some crazy shit, or I think he'll be careful. I, I think he'll be careful because he knows what's at stake the possibility that we all want to see of him and Sammy taking the tag titles off the Usos. I'm sure he understands the importance of that and not wanting to miss that. And I, I have to think that if he has to be careful, he, he, he will be. Yeah. I have no doubt that KO knows obviously what's best for himself. I'm just, and look, maybe the reports on of the sprained MCL, maybe it's super minor or maybe the reports were premature and they did an MRI and they saw there's no structural damage. Who the hell knows? Right. But I, I just, I did notice him walking really gingerly to the ring. And I was like, well, if he's not really putting a lot of pressure on this and he's being careful now, then what's that going to mean for the match? And what's it going to mean for him going forward? So I just, I don't want it to be one of those situations, which is basically what happened to Cody, where he had like a minor pectoral uh, tear. And then he just decided to keep working out full bore and completely tore it while working out. You know, a sprain is not the same as as a torn muscle or torn ligament to that degree. But as someone who has dealt with ankle and knee injuries just personally my entire life. 
Um, I know that once your knee is a little bit weakened, almost any little twist or turn or, or something that goes just a little bit wrong can really destroy your knee. So, you know, I'm just hopeful that everything works out okay, that he comes out of the match okay. Because number one, the guy needs to be healthy because, you know, it'd be terrible if he missed time and had to rehab and hurt himself. We don't want bad stuff for the guy. But there's also a great storyline that seems to be pretty freaking obvious that they're building for WrestleMania with KO and Sammy against the Usos for the tag team titles. And man, oh man, do I want that match. I mean, look, Roman Reigns defending against whomever, it's going to be great. But that tag team match, that's a main event level tag team match if they build it the right way. And it does seem like they're building it the right way. So let's go ahead, move over to Raw and what went down on Monday night. Owens opened Raw saying he joined War Games because of one person, not Zayn, who is still KO's brother despite all their problems, moving into the storyline that I just mentioned, uh, but rather Reigns. Owens reminded he took Roman to the limit three times, saying his motivation right now is to take out the entire bloodline so the next time he gets a title opportunity, no one would be there to stop him. KO brought out the rest of the team. Sheamus and McIntyre cut promos. Judgment Day interrupted with Ripley saying they run Raw and the rest of the guys kind of just made threats. Sheamus told Balor he didn't respect him as a fellow Irishman. They had a really, really strange interaction that did not make a shred of sense. And then Sheamus offered a six-man challenge. So we got the Brutes against Judgment Day. Dominic Mysterio got consistently good heat He tried running away, but Sheamus chased him and the OC entered to force Dominic back to the ringside area with Sheamus doing 20 beats on his chest and a bro kick for the win. Balor and Priest attacked after with OC helping and then Owens stunning Balor to end the entire thing. I thought it was a really strong opening to the show overall. We got the right winner, the right loser, and the right finish with Sheamus and Owens looking strong as Reigns top two threats. I couldn't ask for more given that it was basically a throwaway segment and Dom being this little shit, it continues to pop me. Yeah, I, I thought it was enjoyable. Everybody looked good. Dominic continues to get great heat. I love that it was kind of a cross of some stories and some stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, it worked. So just so everyone knows what's coming up on Friday, we're going to have McIntyre and Sheamus against the Usos in an advantage match. This feels to me like it's going to be one of those situations where the team of two stars beats the tag team champions, probably because of something that happens with Sammy. That would be maybe frustrating Mm. booking, but it could also, Chris, be like a short-term tag team feud, saving Sheamus and Reigns for maybe like the Christmas Raw, or even you could push that out further to the Royal Rumble if you have McIntyre and Sheamus win this match to get the advantage and then just have them contend for the tag team titles given they beat them and deserve the opportunity. So that's my booking. Uh, That's my my prediction for the Friday go-home SmackDown. McIntyre and Sheamus winning and taking the advantage going into War Games. I can I know I said the heels always have to have the advantage in war games, but because it's the bloodline whose entire thing is dominance, mm-hmm. them not having the advantage makes for a more interesting story going into the match than if it was the other way. Around. It also allows and Roman Reigns to be the last one in the ring. Exactly. Roman last in the ring, you know, oh, is he a little concerned that you know that they don't have the advantage? Like so few things go wrong for the bloodline. This is one you throw on there that ultimately doesn't mean anything, but it gives you a little more intrigue going into the match. So I, I, I agree. All right. So with that, let's move to our men's war games predictions. Just a reminder, the teams are, of course, the Bloodline and the Brawling Brutes, Seamus, Butch, and Ridge Holland, Drew McIntyre, and Kevin Owens. Now, you would think going into this match, and this was my thought for a long time when I was trying to predict how war games would unfold, that 
Sammy or Jay takes the fall because that further creates the issues within the bloodline, the blame going back and forth, Roman Reigns potentially souring on Jay, or if Sammy was the one to lose, Reigns even completely kicking him out of the bloodline. But then you think about, this is the first ever War Games match involving men or women, doesn't matter, on the main roster in WWE. But the bloodline is the most dominant faction in WWE, probably since The Shield, I would say. And The Shield is not a faction. Okay, thank you. Good correction from you. The Shield is a group. Uh, so then, okay, that's even better, right? The, the, the bloodline is the most dominant faction in WWE in probably decades. And you can make an yeah. argument the bloodline's more dominant than Degeneration X or, or many other factions that have been in WWE. The, the McMahon-Helmsley faction or whatever that was called. Yeah, uh, yeah. and the, um, the, the, the corporate ministry. I mean, there's so many great the factions back ministry, in the Attitude Era. Yeah. I really should rewatch the Attitude Era. But the point is, the bloodline is historically dominant in WWE right now. And are you really going to put on your first ever war games and have the bloodline wrestle as a faction all together for the first time and have them lose to a mishmash of people who, yeah, they all, you know, storyline wise have reasons to be in the match. That's one of the reasons I'm so excited for it. But when there's people on the other side, like Butch, who I love and Ridge Holland, who I actually very much like that can easily, easily take the fall I just can't get there despite it making so much storyline sense for Jay or Sammy to be the one to lose when you have a Butch and you have a Holland who can take the loss and you have a group that's this dominant, like the Bloodline, you have to have them go over in war games. So I have the baby faces winning women's war games and I have the heels, the Bloodline winning men's war games. The question is who are going to be the winners and losers and I'm very curious to kind of make that prediction. So Chris, why don't we first talk about who you think is going to win, give your prediction, and then we can take guesses on who the ultimate winner and loser are in terms of the person making the pinfall or submission and the person being pinned or submitting. First off, have you seen the poster for this uh, show? I think it's fantastic. Very eye-catching. Great poster. It's just, it's, it's, it's the bloodline, just kind of all in a group. Kind of with a cage in the background, everybody looking strong. Paul Heyman menacing in the back. It's a very, very good poster. And it kind of leans into my thought again of, you, you know, I, I'm picking the same thing as you. I, I'm, I'm picking maybe Sammy, something happens, they almost lose, but I, the bloodline never loses. Roman never loses. The Usos almost never lose, especially in a big match. Theoretically, they can take the loss here. Theoretically, this can be the, the catalyst to get Sami Zayn thrown out in the, the turn to happen. On the other hand, we're still five months away from WrestleMania. And so are you going to be able to sustain that, you know, Sammy, you know, attention and heat for that long? That feels like something more you do around or after the rumble, perhaps. And so I think. I think I think I think it makes sense to pick the heels. They've got the unified tag titles. They've got the record, you know, the record tag title reign. They've got the modern record Roman Reigns title reign winning the first men's war games match like. Makes sense. It fits to throw that on them. So I, I think the same thing happens. 
I think that's really the key. It's just, it's such an important event. It's the first one. Reigns title reign has been so dominant. It's like, how do you really have them lose here and make it make sense? I guess the one way that you could possibly do it is we've recently seen cracks beginning to show. Obviously, Jan Sammy is one. Reigns, the reaction that he gave to the Logan Paul match, where he was just like kind of shell-shocked and had PTSD that it took that much for him to beat Logan Paul where it really shouldn't have. He thought he should have dominated that match. You can make an argument that them losing this really sends him off the deep end and starts his downfall that could then play out over the next five months until WrestleMania. But that is the great point that you made. WrestleMania is five months away. It's not like it's three or two months away. That's a really long time to try to tell that story. And I just don't know that it makes sense to do it in this spot for all of the reasons that we've already mentioned. Now, in terms of who's going to win and who's going to lose the match, I don't think it's going to be some epic, you know, moment. Like, I, I like I think the, the match is going to be fantastic. There's going to be great spots. But I don't think, for example, you're going to see Roman Reigns pin Sheamus or Roman Reigns pin Kevin Owens. I think it's going to be a situation where, like, Solo Sokoa pins Ridge Holland or something to that degree. And if you've seen a lot of War Games matches, you know that the, the finishing moment doesn't really matter that much because it's all the moments that happen preceding it, how that person who ultimately gets pinned gets taken out. For example, Jay and Jimmy doing a double Uso splash and selling their injuries and Solo falling on top of Holland, for example, to take the fall. That's how I kind of feel like this is going to go down. Um, but look, I'm just massively excited for this match. And really, no matter how it transpires, I don't think there's a wrong booking. Just because my prediction is that the bloodline is going to win, the heels are going to win, that doesn't mean that I'm going to be upset if the baby faces do. It would be really interesting to see the story that they're going to tell. But that all kind of goes back to us trusting this creative process under Triple H, where if the baby faces do win, then I know Reigns is going to give an incredible reaction. I know that Friday on SmackDown, whatever that bloodline segment is going to be, it's going to be on fire and he's going to blame other people and they're going to go crazy. So yeah, I'm just really, really looking forward to this match in particular. I do think the entire thing's a strong card. So go ahead. I, I, I spoke a lot and kind of took two different uh, angles there, but who do you think is going to kind of finish off this match and what are your overall thoughts on it uh, heading into Survivor Series War Games? It's either Roman gets the pin or Sammy gets the pin. Interesting. Okay. I, I, I think those are the possibilities. I don't think you get anything else from anybody else really doing anything. Maybe it's Sammy pinning Kevin Owens or something, or, or maybe, I, I don't know, but I, I think those are the two guys with the most story around them. So it makes sense for one, like Roman continues to look dominant. He makes the pin. He's the big guy. Or Sammy, he, Sammy finally earns his keep among the Usos or something like that. Um, and instead of, you know, maybe we think, oh, is this is Sammy going to cost him? And this is the turn that everyone's expecting. Instead, it's the complete opposite when he when he fully gets accepted by the bloodline because he wins them the match against Kevin Owens or something like that. And then that starts the story of how you untangle that. So I, I think those are the two possibilities. But yeah, this match, I am so excited for this match. The most excited I've been for a match since um, since Drew Roman. At Clash of the Castle, um, and probably anything since WrestleMania uh, to, to that point. I just think there's so much possibility here. I don't even remember. We haven't seen this other thing. We talked about it a little bit last week, but we haven't seen War Games on this stage in WWE before. We know they're not doing the cage on top. 
We know they're not hyping up the history of war games, which I complained about last last week, which I still don't understand why you don't kind of lean into. Hey, Dusty Rhodes was in this. Sting was in this. All these greats, you know, Ric Flair, like war games has so much history. Now it's the bloodlines turn to, to control the cage. They're not doing it. OK, sure. Um, but but super excited for this. The only negative I'll really say is that I am so sick and tired of hearing the opening to War Pigs by Black Sabbath. They play it every <laughs> single time. Uh, every single time a match graphic comes up or, or a promo video or something. I'm just love Black Sabbath, but I'm just getting very sick of just overplaying that song uh, over and over again. That is some interesting booking with Sami Zayn possibly being the one to win. Um, and like Roman Reigns on Friday, overly praising him, making him an official ooze, like just going all the way and Jay fracturing even further from the group. And then that story being told over the two and a half months between now and the Royal Rumble, that would make a lot of sense. So that is a really interesting piece of uh, booking that could transpire in this match. Regarding War Pigs, I, I think it's just like, it keeps getting restarted. And so we get the same intro part every single time we hear it. That's why it's frustrating. Yeah, right. That's why it's so frustrating. But I have to say, if there's any song that is appropriate for war games, it is that song. So I have not gotten tired of it by any means, but I do know exactly what you mean. It's almost at the level of, um, I I don't know if the song is called. Well, no, not that. The summer at SummerSlam. No, no, no. uh, uh, I don't know if it's called Greenlight, but the Pitbull green light oh, song yeah, for yep. wrestlemania 33 give me the green light yeah give me the green light because i'm ready to go like that one just was grating to me but i also don't like pitbull and i do like ozzy and i like black sabbath so like and i like the song so it, it's not as uh it doesn't hurt my ears as much to hear it the by the way just real quick before we move on do you there is for me a singular greatest ever um pay-per-view track that's ever existed in wwe And I don't think that you'll be able to pick up on the one that it is for me. Before I give mine, I'm wondering if you have one yourself that you think is like the greatest ever that was like your favorite. Uh, Yeah, let me look up. I want to get this right. Uh, They use it in the they use it in the match promo. It was it was um, Vengeance 2002. Okay, what's the song called? Uh, Down. Hold on. I have it in my Twitter. I'm going to pull it up right here because I saw it came up, popped up on Twitter. Then it was downfall by trust company. And it was used in a um, one of the great one of the best match promos WWE's ever done with Kurt Angle, Undertaker, The Rock, Triple Threat for the Undisputed title. Um, so it's it's an off the beaten path type of one. But I'm going with Vengeance 2002. Well, mine is very easy. And I don't think that um I don't think it's arguable that this is the greatest of all time. You may have been a little young for it. It may not have hit you uh, the right way, but 1998 SummerSlam, ACDC Highway to Hell, because we had oh, yeah. the we had the road to WrestleMania, which was the term that WWE, of course, always uses. So it's basically the road to SummerSlam, but it's the highway to hell because the main event was Stone Cold Steve Austin against The Undertaker. So it was the perfect song for the perfect event. Also, hell is hot. SummerSlam is summer. And Undertaker's in the match. It just all fit perfectly. For me, that is number one all time. Highway to Hell, 1998 WWE SummerSlam. So Definitely that, sticks fun- out. Like if you were to say, if you were to say like associate a song with a pay-per-view, like 
that's one of the ones that instantly comes to mind for sure. Yeah. And yours was really good too. I just, for me, that one always sticks out. It was also like the peak of my wrestling fandom. I was still young and yeah. really, and you know, it was the attitude era, the height of the attitude era. Like it was really rolling. Um, yeah, that, that just always sticks out in my mind. All right, look, a lot went down on today's show. We did the ultimate preview for WWE Survivor Series War Games, which means the only thing left is to provide our pre-show expectation grades. I always let you go first when it comes to grading. Everyone listening, do not forget, you will be able to vote and provide your own pre-show expectation grade on Twitter, our account at Getting Overcast. We will post a poll one hour before Survivor Series War Games. You'll be able to give us your letter grade, your expectation for Survivor Series. And again, once the show goes off the air, you'll be able to vote on your post-show grade for Survivor Series War Games. Chris, what is your pre-show expectation grade for, I'll say it one more time, Survivor Series War Games? I'm thinking A- minus because I think there's only five matches. I think both War Games matches are going to be really good. I think the triple threat for the U.S. title is going to be solid. And there's an, an AJ versus Finn. Could be good. I'm skeptical, but I, I think there's there's not a lot of room here to fail. You know, our la- one week ago, we were talking about a what became a 13-match card for AEW Full Gear. This mm-hmm. is five. So, like, when you have five, if a couple of them hit, like we think they're going to hit, that makes the floor very high. It's hard to really miss at that point. So I'm I'm, I'm saying A-. minus. Yeah, I'm actually right on the border of A- and B+, for here. And it's very difficult for me to give a show an A expectation grade going in. But, man, the men's war games has been built perfectly. And it's yes. the right five people on the baby face side, obviously against the bloodline, which we want to see. The bloodline is the hottest thing in wrestling right now, no question about it. On the women's side, um, you know, you can argue that the build has been a little bit clunky and we've seen a lot of it. But you know what we have in this match? We have insane people who can do insane things, okay? Nikki Cross uh, alone in this match is going to do something wild. Io Sky, who is famous or was famous partially in NXT for jumping off a cage with a trash can on her body is going to do something wild in this match. Dakota Kai has been in war games before. She is going to do something crazy in this match. Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley from an athleticism and strength standpoint, there's crazy shit that they can do. Asuka is fearless. Mia Yim is fearless. Really, Alexa Bliss is the only person who I'm like, eh, you know, maybe she won't do that much, but she could just do Twisted Bliss into someone on a table and that could be spectacular, right? And then you have Becky Lynch, who we know in hardcore matches is fantastic. So I think that match is going to be great. The triple threat for the United States Championship. Guess what? We finally got the US title back on a premium live event. That's great. And the people involved in this are all really good wrestlers. That's going to be a good match. The AJ Styles Finn Balor match. I do think we're going to get shenanigans. I don't think we're going to be pleased with the finish. But in terms of the wrestling, the first 15 minutes of the match, I think it's going to be exceptional. And yeah, the SmackDown Women's Championship it's kind of a womp womp. Like it's a little bit disappointing. Ronda Rousey and Shotzi, I like both of them. I don't think it's going to be a great match. So that's why I can't go flat A, but I'm right with you. Like I'm not, it's not a high A minus. I'm like a 90 out of a hundred, but I'm with you on it. Again, we always seem to align mostly within half a letter grade uh, on our pre-show expectation grades. I think this is going to be an A minus show that has potential to just blow us out of the water. And I think it has a very low floor. It's not going to be worse than no, like a high B floor. show. High floor. 
a, a very high floor. I'm sorry. Yeah, good call. It's not going to be worse than a B. Like, it, I don't see how it's possible based on the matches that they've booked. Yep. No, I agree. Like that, that, that the last match, the the final image you get from the show, it's going to be very hard for them to mess that up. And and that's ultimately, I think everyone's going to be feeling good about it coming out of it. Yeah, the go home moment always raises the, the the rest of like the show too. Like if you just have a great final, you overlook some things that maybe weren't as great during it. Although I do think we're pretty fair when we give our final grades and we look at the event as a whole with just a little bit of extra credit maybe for the main event. So we do a pretty good job with that. Again, all of you can provide your pre-show expectation grades on our poll at Getting Overcast on Twitter, posted one hour before Survivor Series War Games. Around the same time, we will be doing a live Survivor Series War Games pre-show on Twitter spaces. You're gonna wanna follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for that post-show poll coming out as soon as that ends. Survivor Series War Games, that is. And of course, we will have our Survivor Series War Games. Let's see how many times I can say Survivor Series War Games in a single promotional segment. Uh, We will have an instant analysis for that premium live event Saturday night as soon as it goes off the air as we exit this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Allow me to also remind you that this show is all about Defy. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hit us with those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review as well. If you do, we will read it here on the show. Thank you all once again for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We will be back Thursday with our AEW and NXT show. And then again, Saturday night with WWE Survivor Series War Games instant analysis. But for right now, for Vintage Chris Manini, this is the Silver King Adam Silverstein signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.